Principal Matters Podcast, episode 154. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all my resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. This week, we'll be discussing principles and parenting with my guest and co-host, Jen Schwanke, who's also the author of the book, You're the Principal, Now What? Strategies and Solutions for New School Leaders. And she's the principal of Indian Run Elementary School in Dublin, Ohio. Jen, welcome back to Principal Matters. Thanks so much for joining us for this series. As this week, we talk about principles and parenting. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to dig into this because, well, I have been the parent and I've been the principal and I've been both at the same time. Yeah. And I know we both have unique experiences. I have four children and you have two kiddos. I have two girls who one of whom is in college one just graduated from high school last night and then two younger kids uh, who will be going into 11th grade 8th grade and so I've had the privilege of parenting and being the principal of two of my kids while my younger two I've just been the dad but not been their principal and what's been the setup for your family so my kids are a little bit younger than yours I'll have one going into seventh grade and one going into fourth grade and I have teeter-tottered back and forth in, in several different roles. My son started kindergarten where I was because we have an interdistrict enrollment policy. And so he started with me and then we thought, oh no, let's put the kids in their neighborhood school, same district, but neighborhood school. So we did that. And then I got transferred <laughs> to the building where they were um, in my neighborhood. So, you know, I bounced back and forth. And now my son is in a school that's literally right across the parking lot in the middle school. So I can see where he goes to school, but but I'm not there every day while my daughter is still in my school. So it's been a very close uh, relationship with my students as they, with my kids as they've progressed through. There may be many of you out there, I'm guessing, who either serve in the same school or the same district where your kids attend, or maybe you've had that experience in the past, or maybe you're going to have that experience, or you work with people who are having that experience. And so there are some real interesting dynamics that happen. And that's one of the things that Jen and I want to focus on this week is just questions of what do those dynamics look like for the kid, the parent, the teacher, and for you. And I think even if you haven't experienced it, we think this will speak to audience members who are principals, even if their children aren't in their schools or haven't had children, because many times as principals, we think, what's the right thing to do for a child? What would I want done for my child? And so, you know, I think this this is a universal topic because we often are in the role of a parent, even if the child doesn't necessarily live in our house. Yeah. And I think it's also an important perspective because how do you parent kids? who are in schools that other principals might be making the decisions for? And then how do you care for those kids in your building who may be principals' kids too? And those are, those are just some really interesting dynamics, Jen. And I'm excited to jump into this topic because I haven't really heard a lot of podcast episodes on this topic. And so I just want to dive in. And I first want to just start with a funny story. This week in Oklahoma, the weather was not funny. We had tornadoes <laughs> and flooding. And so we had many late nights watching for sirens to go off and early mornings with warnings as well. And Tuesday morning this week, we woke up at 6.30 a.m. I was already awake, but my children woke up to the sounds of sirens going off. And so we went into our storm closet and waited that storm out. And we were watching social media and we saw some news from the school that there would be buses running an hour later than normal. So after the warnings were over, 
my youngest son, Jack, was ready to go to school. And so I loaded him up in the car and we were driving across town. And as we were getting close to the school, I began to rehearse with him probably what his day would be like. I said, Jack, most likely there are going to be several of your teachers who are going to be late because they live outside of town because of the flooding. You're going to have buses that are running an hour late. Your principals are probably going to place you in the gym. They're going to wait until all the teachers are present before they release you to class. And he finally just interrupted me and said, Dad, I have good principals. I think they'll know what to do. And I just started laughing because I know both of his principals and they know exactly what they're doing. And later that week, I ran into one of his assistant principals and I told her that story and she was like, yes, I've been waiting for him to use that line on you all year long. And, but it was funny to just think about the perspective of how even when we are parenting, we're right. always thinking in both of those worlds at the same time. I get how, where you were right then. Your brain went to, okay, the buses and the efficiency and the operations and what they're going to have to do. We never really take off our principal hat. And I think we all feel that even if I pass by a school in my car that I've never even set foot inside the door, I'll think, oh goodness, you know, it's a full moon. What's going on in that building right now? Or, you know, it's about the holiday season. They've got a lot going on. So we're always thinking about the things that principals are dealing with. So let's start first with that principal, Jen. What are some things that you think it's important for principals to be thinking about happening in their own minds? I think one of the most challenging things for principals to think about is when they see poor instruction or when they see weak classroom management and whether a principal's own child is in that class or not, that's a difficult quandary because we know there's learning in all kinds of environments and we know that it might not be the kind of environment we would choose for our child or the kind of classroom teaching we would provide. But it's, you know, it's always a big conundrum. When do I step in and when do I not? And I think it's complicated when your own child is in the classroom because it can easily be misunderstood by the teacher or the teacher's colleagues as a principal throwing his weight around or trying to make something uh, bigger of a minor issue. It's a very, very delicate dance that we have to do there. And I myself have sometimes literally decided, let it go. It's not it's not worth it. And I don't know that I would have let it go if, if my child weren't in the classroom, if that makes sense. So it's an entirely unending game of picking the battles, choosing the battles. You're going to have understandings of the strengths and weaknesses of your staff that no one else does because that's the privilege of being a principal. But it's also the responsibility with that privilege of knowing how to protect that confidentiality how to be aware of the strengths and weaknesses that exist, and then how do you navigate your kid through those strengths and weaknesses? Because your child is going to reflect honestly with you as to what the strengths and weaknesses are of his or her teacher. You're going to have some insights into those classrooms that you didn't have before because you're going to see them through the eyes of your child versus just your own eyes or the eyes of your colleagues or the eyes of former students. So how do you manage that? And you're right, Jen. I've had several situations in my own parent principaling years when my daughters were in my school of being aware of either conversations that maybe I wouldn't have said that or maybe situations that are happening with instruction that maybe I wouldn't have made that choice. And you're right. Sometimes you just have to decide, you know what? I'm only aware of that because I'm a parent right now. I'm not aware of that because I'm the principal. I'm aware of that because I'm a parent. So I've got to have to put my parent hat on and decide, is this something that's worth addressing or is it just something that I'm going to have to just be aware of and not say anything? And I wish there was a like cut and dry answer as to when to know when to step in and when not. 
but you won't know. You're going to have to determine that based on the context in each of those situations. And I think sometimes when you have a bird's eye view of a classroom that you wouldn't have where your child not in the classroom, with that too, I've had the thought, well, wait a minute, I could have gone years without knowing perhaps this that, uh, of a situation of negligence or students not, oh, let's just take a specific example, a teacher who doesn't um, give feedback to students. So they don't really ever know where they stand in the class. Now I might never know that were I not a parent, but then I think I have a privilege of knowing it, but doesn't, doesn't that give me the responsibility even more to act on it? And like you said, there's no real answer. I think what I have relied upon is I have, if, if nothing else, taken a step back. I have not intervened more than I would have had my child not been in that class because I don't want the staff to begin to think that I am overbearing or that I um, helicopter parent or any of that. So if anything, I have chosen less battles. And I'm not saying that's the right answer, but I do think it, it gave the teachers and their colleagues a little bit of room to breathe that probably they needed. It's a, it's a lot of pressure to have the principal's kid in, in the class or a board member's kid or the superintendent's kid in, in the class. It's a big, big responsibility. And I think it causes a lot of anxiety that we have to acknowledge. It's also important to understand the dynamics of how to communicate with that teacher. If you are aware of something that maybe you need to address as a parent, and I know you and I are both in unique situations, Jen, because we both have spouses who can partner with us in communication. Your husband is an athletic director, so you guys both work in the same district. My wife does not work for a school. And so I have, although she's a former educator, but she's not a current educator. And so sometimes when we were trying to figure out like the dynamics of when to communicate and how, you know, the first question you always have to ask is, what does my child need? And if my child needs to have that teacher communicated with, if my child needs an advocate, if my child needs me to intervene, then I've got to be the parent and I've got to decide to put that hat on. In our situation, often I would reach out to my wife first and say, honey, I need you to reach out and have this communication. Or sometimes she would reach out to me and say, hey, we need to communicate. Do you want me to be the one that does this or do you want to do this? And so so those are very important conversations. But With that conversation, I think we tried to always practice assuming best intentions. Reach out with a question or reach out with a request, assuming that this teacher has the best intentions for our kid and assuming that we're only getting one side of the story from our our own child too. What are some of your thoughts on that? I think that's an important concept to think about. We have to make an assumption that no teacher would ever deliberately try to tick off the principal. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. That That isn't any fun. So if you assume best of intentions and you assume that there may just be a communication misstep somewhere, that's a great way to start any kind of conversation. We had a superintendent not too long ago, and he opened up a enormous, it was called convocation, and we all get together at the beginning of the year. And this is a gentleman who had six children, and they were all in some stage in our school district. And, you know, to have the superintendent's children in your class, it affected a lot of teachers. And he said, listen, I'm going to tell you how this is going to work. He said, I will believe exactly half of what they say about you if you believe exactly half of what my children say about me. And it brought down the house. It was funny. It was such a a relief to hear him acknowledge that from the administrator's perspective, there's some anxiety there too. I'm sending my child into your class with all these other peers and, and who knows what he'll say or who knows what he'll do. And we'll talk a little bit more later about the child's perspective. But I think as, as you said, let's just assume all the teachers have best intentions when they're working with our kids. Okay. So assuming, 
something that you're advocating for your child, Jen, and you need to reach out to a teacher, what are some things that you should not do? I think about some of the things I hate to hear from other parents, things that just make my skin crawl because I've heard them so many times. A common one is my child would never do that. And so this would, would apply to discipline situations, say, well, you know, my son would never do that. Or my son would never lie. My daughter would never not be honest. Another one is, you know, we've all heard this as principals and we just want to, you know, smack our foreheads. We'll hear, you know, my child is only misbehaving because she's bored. She's gifted, you know, she's, she needs challenged, you know, and that, those kind of, of things that we say to, that parents say to teachers are immediately conversation stoppers. They put a barrier up that um, a teacher can't Mm -hmm. begin to permeate. And so I try to make sure that I don't ever say the things that I know to be conversation stoppers. A couple of others, can you make an exception for my child? And no one ever says this explicitly. They just ask for it in actions or in passive aggressive comments here and there. You know, my child is different. Because when we agree to send our children to school, we agree that our child is going to be treated with um, fairness and and a kind of differentiated equity. And so we can't ask for special treatment. Another one, I can't imagine any principal doing this, but it's worth noting. We should never say, well, I'm going to go higher. You know, if I don't get the answer that I want, I'm going to go to the assistant principal. And if I don't get that answer, I'm going to go to the principal. And if I don't get that answer, I'm going to the superintendent. So, you know, we have to try to solve problems where they belong at the root. I agree with all of those, Jen. Those are things we should avoid saying. But some things that I think are, are important on the proactive side is remember that you're a parent too. So when you have open house, even if it's in your building, attend your child's open house. You know, be the same as every other parent when it comes to showing up, signing in, picking up those schedules, connecting with that that teacher, making sure that your name is updated with the contact information. Be active. Attend your child's parent-teacher conference nights, put yourself on the schedule, even though you may have other responsibilities as the principal that evening, you need to make sure that you are actively involved as a parent principal too. And you know, I I think that's extremely important. And I feel like it gets, it can alleviate some of the teacher anxiety. If you walk into the conference, say, and you say, Hey, I'm a parent right now. I'm not your principal. I just want to know about how my, my child is doing. So you can kind of address anything that's kind of, you know, hovering in the air by saying, I'm a parent right now. That's the hat I'm wearing. I think it's funny that those things that you ran through, because I remember clearly when I, in my school, my, my son was already enrolled and then my daughter came up into kindergarten and guess who forgot to register her own, her own child for kindergarten. That would be me. <laughs> that would be the principal. And my secretary came to me and she said, you haven't registered your daughter. And I said, oh, I have to do that. Now keep in mind, I would have been the first one rolling my eyes and said, how did these parents not register their kids? It literally just slipped my mind. I didn't think about it. And my husband got caught in that trap not too long ago because he took my son to the dentist and he forgot to call in the absence. And he got the call from the secretary saying, hey, you didn't call in. And so we all have those moments of humility when we realize that all of the judgments and all of the expectations we put on other parents, they apply to us as well. And when we don't do it, we will get caught just like other parents have. Well, Jen, you know, I'm a huge advocate of messaging and communicating, which is something I've written a lot about before too. But I know that my ability to communicate with my teachers, my parents, my students increased when I became the parent of a child in my building because I immediately had then an understanding of what my kids weren't telling me 
what they weren't bringing home with them. And then I also had a wife who would say to me, Will, you know that meeting that's coming up in a couple of weeks? I didn't see that on the website or I haven't seen anybody announce that that's happening with the school calendar. And so suddenly I had an immediate feedback person with me who was monitoring the communications of my school. And I began to like shift the way I looked at my school, not just from the perspective of someone in the middle of the battle or the middle of the moment. I may know what's happening, but have I communicated that back out to the rest of the world or to my my teachers or students so that they know what's happening? Absolutely. It is like having a constant auditor. And I think it's it's unnerving at first, but it really is helpful. I many times have had my spouse say to me, hey, you haven't put out information about school supplies, or I'm really not sure what's happening the last day of school. And to me, it's such a um, jarring feeling to have somebody be able to point out that, you know, in real time, what communication balls I'm dropping. And I think too, it gets tricky when your kids have friends and those friends' parents, you know, when you're dropping off or picking up, carpooling, whatever, they may mention things off the cuff that you think, oh, wait, I think that parent is talking to the principal right now about something they don't know or something they're uncertain about. And so I'm constantly keeping a list in my head of things my community might not be aware of that I I need to act upon. And so I think it's exhausting to always have that auditor around you, (laughs) whether it's a partner or a spouse or or a kid's friend, but it it does help. It makes you a better principal. Well, and I think one of the hard questions principals have to answer is when do we step in? You know, when, if we are aware of something that's happening within our child's um, classroom, you know, when, when do we step in? And we've mentioned before that sometimes that's not a quick fix answer. It depends on the situation, but there are times if you're aware of something that's either unsafe for other kids and your own child, or that's a practice that is going to not be good for all kids, it's, or it's something that needs to be immediately addressed, that you have a responsibility to, to step in and address things that you know matter for the rest of your school community. And there's a privilege with leadership, Jen, and you and I both know this. If you become more closely aware of things that are happening with your teachers instructionally, then some of that stuff you can put in the back of your mind for as you move forward, you know, as you're doing additional training with teachers or as you're doing additional planning or as you're doing additional master schedule changes, who needs to be placed where, where their strengths or weaknesses have been reflected. And so some of those things don't have to be immediately addressed, but they can be addressed long-term because you have a deeper perspective on that classroom than you had before. I couldn't agree more. There's been several times where I thought, okay, that's a battle I'm going to need to fight, but not right now. I will wait until it mm-hmm. can't possibly be about my son or about my daughter's experience, but it's more about a, a holistic experience that we want to provide for all kids. I think there's a great wisdom in waiting. And I say that as someone who's a terrible, terrible waiter. But if I, if I wait and just take notes and think about how I can make adjustments or suggestions or give teachers particular feedback, it's much more meaningful if it doesn't come from a place of emotion or uh, frustration from the principal or the teacher. Well, let's transition now into remembering what it must be like for your child to also be sitting in a school with his or her mom as the principal too, because I think it's important for principals to have some some empathy and some context for what that looks like. And I know you and I have had experiences in that. I'm from the secondary level and you from the elementary level. But what are some things, Jen, that you think are important for, for principals to keep in mind about those children whose principals are leading that building who may be you? Right. We could talk for hours about this, Will. I have a friend and she's probably about 55 years old and she will sometimes say, yeah, my dad was my principal. And people, even 
at age 55, people will say to her, oh my goodness, what was that like? And so I try to keep that in mind with my own kids because this is something they will remember and speak of for years to come. And I've seen it be a positive thing for my kids, certainly, but I've also seen it be enormously difficult. My son only recently opened up to me about a, a student we'd had who has since moved, but he was, you know, your classic bully. And that's not a word I use, I use loosely because principals all know that the word bully can be overused, misused, and so on. But he um, was incredibly cruel to my son about my role as principal. You only got that because your mom's the principal. Your teachers are only nice to you because your mom's the principal. You get this, you get that. And my son never told me. And we could dig into all the layers of this. He didn't tell because he didn't want it to get worse. He didn't tell because he didn't want the bully to get in trouble. We all know what happens when bullies get in trouble. They get smarter about being a bully. He didn't tell me too because I think he felt like this was his cross to bear, that he was the principal's son and that was just the way it was. In retrospect, I think it made him stronger and I think it made him socially more apt. But I have been upset about it as a parent, thinking, you know, that this is a situation I put my children in. I could certainly ask for a transfer. I do have some control of the situation, but, you know, it became a a cost-benefit analysis for me. There is so many wonderful things that come from being a principal involved in in your child's journey. But the the real conversation comes just in thinking of the child's perspective and what they're learning, what they're gaining, and what they're losing, too, from being the principal's kid. Well, and when I've talked to my own children, when I've asked them, you know, what are some of the experiences that they've had as the principal's kid and what are some of the things now that they're a little farther away from it? What are some of the takeaways that might help me better understand what that was like to, you know, those responses have been interesting. Number one, they tell me, dad, there's a lot of things we never told you on purpose. Yes, yes. Because people would often assume, because people would often assume that we would tell you everything. And so, so both of my girls were really honest with me that there were many things that they never told us because they didn't want me to respond or to be aware of something that I might have to confront and then put them in an uncomfortable situation. Right. I think it gets very complicated at what at the middle and high school level when the stakes get higher and students do know information that adults will never find out. And I have a friend who's a high school principal and his daughter just graduated valedictorian and she was involved in athletics and the play and she was just a rock star. And I think there was a little tiny bit of a dark cloud over it all because a lot of people um, assumed that, you know, that there were reasons she was this amazing kid that had nothing to do with her upbringing and just who she was. It more had to do with being the principal's child. And to connect to what you've said, you know, she had a lot of of balancing to do through her time in high school. There was a lot of things she didn't tell her dad, a lot of things that she carried. And and in the end, it will make her stronger. And it, it has made her have to understand the politics of a large organization in a way a lot of kids don't. And I think there's pressures too. I, I have a, another friend who's a high school principal and, and this winter we got a terrible snowstorm and she got, no kidding, 514 texts in a 12-hour period about whether school, school was going to be closed. Now, mind you, the principal doesn't make that call. There, he has nothing to do with it. He gets the right. call when we get the call. But for some reason, everybody thought, well, let's text her and see if she knows anything. It was exhausting for her. Mm-hmm. And she only told him days yeah. later. She only showed him her phone days later. And he felt terrible, but she laughed it off. She just said, dad, it's, it is what it is. It's fine. Well, I'm so glad you said that because I have a good friend who's also a high school principal and his daughter actually wrote an English paper 
this year on what it's like to be a principal's kid. And so I, I had the privilege of interviewing her for some scholarships that our association is is awarding to senior students of, of principal members. And I asked her during that conversation, because I finally had a face-to-face with her, can you tell me some of the things that you wrote about in that paper? And she said some of the things we're talking about now. She said, number one, people assume that we get special treatment because we're principal's kids. And often we get more scrutiny. But she said, sometimes we do get special treatment. Sometimes I have the options of taking classes I wouldn't have known about, but, but my dad's the principal. So I know about those and I'm going to have inside information about a cool class that maybe I can take because my dad cares about that. She said also the same thing you did. She said, people will complain to me vicariously. They think that if they complain to me about something that's happening with the schedule or the calendar, someone's complaining about something, I just don't pass it along because I'm, that's not who I am. I'm a student at the school, not, not the carrier of complaints to my father. But you know, that's an amazing amount of pressure for students of principals for children of principals to have to face every day. And I don't know about you, Jen, but I think it's important for us to coach our kids. I know when my girls were getting ready to come to my school, we had those conversations. What do you think it's going to be like to be the principal's kid? What are some things that you're expecting are going to happen? When are times that you need to come talk to me about a situation versus not telling me about a situation? And I can tell you from my girls' perspectives, they really didn't want the attention. They wanted to have those ground rules understood. They understood the importance that they represented me and our family and their behavior, but they just wanted to be a kid. They, they wanted to be able to step in and create their own identity and be who they were. And my kids also had different personalities. I had one daughter who loved to see me and give me hugs in the hallway and check in throughout the day. I had another daughter who loved me too, but she could care less to come by and say hi. She could walk right by me in the, high, in the hallway and never, and never acknowledge me because she was so focused on getting to class on time and on her activities. And then I was this, an afterthought, you know, later in the day, she might come by and see me when school's over. So it's different with every kid, just like every child you raise is different. The way that they're going to behave in your school will be different too. Any other thoughts on that? I have a, a thought about that. I was the mom who had for years rolled her eyes when kids came to school, and, and I'm talking elementary here, and they screamed. They you know, couldn't leave their parent, couldn't leave their parent. And how many times I've peeled a child off a parent and said, go, mom, go, I've got this. Well, my kid was that one screaming, mommy, mommy, no, don't leave me. And what I had was an accountability <laughs> partner. My secretary is a, she's a wonderful woman, smart, sassy, really, really insightful. And I had said to her, you need to help me parent through this. And she came to me and she said, you need to go. I've got this. And so it was having that person who would help me figure this all out. I think I'm much better at it now than I was when they first came to my school. But if you've got a trusted colleague who you can bounce things off of and say, hey, you know, tell me how I should handle this. And, and if that person knows your children too, and might say to you, for example, oh, that's just Maddie. She's not going to, I don't know if it was, if it was one of your, I don't know which daughter who wouldn't come and see you. That's just her. No big deal. Or the other one who gives you a bear hug walking down the hall. That's just her. You know, um, every child is different. Every situation is different, but it does help to have somebody that can help you stay on a, in a straight professional line, but still wear that hat of a parent. Well, principal, Matters listeners, you are probably sitting somewhere in this store. Whether you're parenting a child in your building, whether you have the child of a principal in your building, or whether someday you may be parenting a child in your building, I think it's important to understand as the parent principal that you will never do these things perfectly. 
Every child has his or her own dynamics. And Jen, I know next week, we're going to jump into some conversations too about trying to understand what it must be like from the teacher's perspective to have that child in your room. Things that we should avoid doing as principals of kids in our buildings. And then goals that we can set as parents who are also principals. So thank you for these great takeaways in this conversation. I think this is helpful for parents who are also principals and parents at the same time. So Principal Matters listeners, thank you so much for the time that you take each week to listen, to learn, and to grow with us. Until next time, thanks for doing what matters. Thanks, everyone. We will see you next time. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.